Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Center podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. I'm just going to do a little recap of a couple of things I shared a few weeks ago. You know, being confident in Christ, it's not about how we feel. You know, feelings are a little bit unreliable, aren't they? You know, like one day I feel like getting out of bed early. Well, I'm telling a lie. I never feel like getting out of bed early. Another day I feel like I don't want to get out of bed. One day I feel like I want to go for a walk. Another day I feel like I don't want to go for a walk. You know, one day I feel like I want to forgive somebody. Another day I don't. You know, sometimes I feel confident in Christ. Other times I don't. But see, confidence in Christ, it's not about how you feel. It's what you know. Yeah? Confidence in Christ is about what you know. So what do you know? What do I mean by that? What do you know? Well, what I'm talking about there is knowing the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? See, knowing the Word of God is so important, I believe, when it comes to having confidence in Christ. Because if, I, if I'm left to my own devices and what I understand and what I think and the knowledge that I have, I know that I struggle with confidence. But I praise God every day that he's given me his word because that gives me confidence in Christ. Because in his word I read things like that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I have a plan and a purpose, that in all things God works for the good of those that love him and have been called according to his purposes. In his word it says God is love. So that gives me confidence in Christ, but we must know his word. And that's what will give us the confidence that we need in Christ. You know, his, I think it was last Sunday night. Where's Pastor Dylan? Has he left? Oh, there he is down the back. Dylan's left the building. No, he's here. Um, you know, last, last Sunday night he was talking about, you know, we just can't be. And we believe this at the core of who we are. We believe this. We just, it's not about being a Sunday Christian. You know, you go to church on Sunday and then you just do, do whatever you like and go wherever you want, go, do whatever you like and go wherever you want to go and you don't even think about God, you don't even think about Jesus, you just, you just go and do your own thing. That's not what we believe here. We believe in a relationship with Jesus. And to have a relationship with somebody, you've got to, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to get to know them. True? <laughs> here we go. No. Like, so we, we strongly emphasize that, that we are a church that want to point people to Jesus because we believe Jesus is the answer. You know, you can, you can be the smartest person in the world. You can have all the knowledge. But that's not going to give you what you need because we're designed to have a relationship with God. And how can we have a relationship with God if we just go to church on a Sunday morning, sing a few songs, listen to the preaching, but then we don't do anything more. We don't apply it to our lives. We don't open his word during the week and we don't get into it and read it and and say, God, what is it that you want to say to me today? Jesus, when I open your word, what is it? Your word is alive and active. What's it saying to me today? You know, 
the Bible's no good if we just simply leave it on the bookshelf. We need to bring it out of the bookshelf and open it up and say, God, this is how you're going to speak to me today. You know, what is it that you want me to know today? You know, sometimes I get asked the question, oh, I read the Bible, but, you know, like I just don't know where to start. And I, I find it confusing and it's contradictory and it's hard. Can I suggest to you, start with Matthew 5. What's in Matthew 5? Come on. Jesus' sermon. 5, 7, 5 to 7 or 8, I think it is. Like, then you can get a real good sense of what's important to Jesus. And what's important to Jesus, surely that must be important to us. You know, and it starts off with the, um, the Beatitudes, what our attitudes should be. And then it goes on to talk about things like loving your enemy, turning your cheek. But that's what's important to Jesus. See, we need to know the word if we want to be confident in Christ. We all love saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yes, I love that Bible verse. John eight thirty two. But how do we know the truth if we don't know it? If we don't spend the time, if we don't read it. You know, it says in the, the verse leading up to that, verse 32, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What do we need to do to make sure that we're truly Jesus' disciples? Hold to his teachings. Hey, praise God. The clock's not on this morning, so I can preach for as long as I like. Oh, hold on, church. You ready? You're in for a big day. No, we'll cancel the kids' pick. No. What do we need to do to make sure that we truly are his disciples? We hold to his teaching. You know, when you grab hold of something, you grasp it. You understand it. You research it. Do we grab hold of his word and never letting it go? The message uh, version of verse 31 to 32 puts it like this. John 8, 31 to 32. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out of what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourself the truth and the truth shall set you free. Living out of what I tell you. Is that how we live our lives every day of the week? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Is that how we live our lives at home? Is that how we live our lives at work? Is that how we live our lives when we're on holidays? Living out of what I tell you. How do we know what Jesus is telling us if we don't pick up his word? So often people say, I can't hear from God. Well, open your Bible. It's not that hard. Open your Bible. Live out of what Jesus is telling you to do. Peter Patterson was here a couple of weeks ago. And he gave a really good description of what a disciple is. Someone that's continuing to learn from Jesus. Are we continually learning from Jesus? You know, I see it. I see people that have been around church a long time and they've stopped learning. They're going through the motions, they turn up to church, but not much is changing, not much is happening. 
Like, I want to encourage you, open your Bible. And, and you may have read it a hundred times. You may know it, but you don't really know it. Or you think you know it all. That's a very dangerous position to be in. Like every time you pick up the word of God, it's alive and active. You can read the verse three years ago and then I can read it again today and it can be tell me something completely different because it's alive and active. We should never be prideful Christians where we get to that place where we, we know it all. I can quote you scripture. But are you living out of what he's telling you to do each and every day? How can we stick to his word if we don't know it? His word tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to, for teaching us what is true. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17, the New Living Translation. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. What is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. Who likes being corrected when you're wrong? I could put a line in there. But I'm not. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do. What to do. Sorry. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses, listen to this. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Who good is that? His word teaches us that God is. Sorry, his word teaches us who God is and who we are to him. His word teaches us that God is love. God is love. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. We are new covenant believers here at Bowen Christian Family Center. God is love. Now, I've been reading Joshua. Let me tell you. I, can, I, I, I read some of the stuff in the Old Testament and I go, what? Go and kill your enemies. But not only kill the, 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 the warring husbands, kill the wives, kill the children. What? God is love? <gasps> but see, I know that we're new covenant believers. And I know that God is love. And I know that, that Old Covenant was about, about performance and about reward for doing what God told you to do and, and reward if you did certain things from God and favor and blessing. Old Covenant, if you do what God tells you to do. Now, I'm not saying you don't do what God's not, you know, <laughs> under the terms of the New Covenant. Under the terms of the New Covenant, Jesus has fulfilled the law. We are blessed we have favor, we have protection because of Jesus. We're new covenant believers. You know, sometimes faith, and for, this is so real for me, faith is simply not understanding, but trusting. I don't understand when God says he's love, but he's telling, to, telling the Israelites to go and kill children. It doesn't make any sense. Does that make sense to you? Huh? But see, you can see if you don't know the Bible and you're a new Christian and you start reading that, oh boy, can that get you confused? But you've got to read the Bible in the context of where we are today. Amen. Where are we today? Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, and he's been raised from the dead. 
That's where we are today. I don't understand all of that. But I trust God enough to know that he knows what he's doing. Amen. His word teaches us that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. His word teaches us that he loved us first, 1 John 4, 19. His word even teaches us that he loved us and loves us whilst we're sinning. What? Can you get that into yourself this morning? How can that be? The God I used to know, before I started to really get into his word and know who he really is and know which covenant we're living under, was a God of wrath. A God that was, that was going to come down on you if you did the wrong thing. It was a, it, that I could lose, I, I could, I could, when I lost my way, that God was out to get me. But that's not the God I know today. The God I know today is God, God is the God that loves. He loved us first. God is love. He went after me. He got, he's going after you even while we're sinning. Romans 5, 8, if you don't believe me, it's in his word. That's not true, John. Yes, it is. It's in his word. Read it. Romans 5, 8. He loved you while you were sinning. You've heard me say many times, God loves you just as you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves me just as I am. God loves me just as I am. God loves me just as I am. God loves me just as I am, Daniel. Oh, I love that. Can you believe that, Cal? Can you believe that? I find that hard sometimes. What? He loves me just as I am. But he loves me too much to leave me where I am. 1 John 4, 8 to 11. But anybody, anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into this world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Real love is sacrificial according to the word of God. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loves us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Amen. What are, if you don't take anything else away from today, take this. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. You know, even after we become disciples, even after we make a decision, even after we're born again believers, even after we say, there is a God. I mean, that's, that's, that's got to be the starting point to be a to be a disciple, you've got to believe there's a God. Yeah? That's got to be the starting point, doesn't it? Like, if you don't believe there's a God, how can you be a disciple? Huh? You've got to believe there's a God. But you've got to believe this too, that you're away from God, that you were born into sin. Yes? And you, there's this belief that you need to repent that you need to say, yes, I'm a sinner. I've fallen away from God's glorious standard and I need saving. Under the terms of the new covenant, I'm saved through faith. Not by what I've done, not by attending church, but you want to attend church because you're a disciple and you want to learn. 
you want to grow and you want to mature. Not because you read your Bible, but you read your Bible because you want to know more about God. Not because you pray, but you want to pray because you love God and you want to hear from him. You're a Christian because you believe that you're a sinner in need of a saviour. And that saviour is Jesus Christ. That he walked this earth over 2,000 years ago. And when he walked this earth, he led the example for every one of us. He lived a life. He was tempted just like you and I. But he lived a life and then he died. But then he rose again to give every single believer that great hope that this life is not it. That we can spend eternity with our maker. You know, even after we become disciples, he still loves us too much to leave us where we are. You know, he knows we just can't help ourselves. Left on our own, we get into all sorts of trouble. The Bible actually talks about us as being sheep. Who knows what sheep are like? They're not the smartest tool, not the sharpest tool in the shed, let me tell you. Are they? They need protection. They need help. They need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, the wolf comes in. All sorts of things happen. They need to be sheared. Is that right? How do you say it? Sheared? Yeah. They need help. Sean. Sean the sheep. Yeah. Have you ever seen Sean the sheep? It's a funny movie. But, you know, we're like that. Like, we're not like Sean the sheep in that movie, because he had a brain. Sometimes we don't have a brain. Come on. Come on. Sometimes we, we, we don't think right. We don't do right. Or is that just me? Am I the only one? Oh dear, I'm in trouble. They need a shepherd to keep them safe, to protect them to help them find the greener pastures. And the reality is for every single disciple, every single follower of Jesus, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to keep us safe. We need a shepherd to help us from getting into trouble and to lead us into green pastures. And of course, that shepherd, as we know, hopefully, is Jesus. But the problem is we don't always listen to him. We go off and do our own thing. We wander off. We get lost. We get into all sorts of trouble. But see, he loves us too much. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. You know, there's that story in the Bible that, that we're all very familiar with about the lost sheep, you know, where he goes after the one. Luke 15, 3 to 7. So Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them got, gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found the lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You know, there was a time in my life, which most of you are familiar with, when I wandered off when I did my own thing, when I stopped listening to Jesus. And you know that that got me into all sorts of trouble. But he loved me too much to leave me where I was. And you know, he even loved me while I was lost. He went after me. 
you know, I found my place, myself in that place where I could no longer carry myself. But then he showed me his amazing grace. He reached down and he picked me up and he's carried me ever since. That same Jesus that's at work in my life is at work in your life. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you think that you've let God down, he's after you. You might think that you've gone too far, that you've done too many wrong things. I'm telling you, church, this morning, he's after you. He's going after you. You may think, I've failed you again, God, but he's going after you. Oh, how could God possibly forgive me? He's forgiven you because of Jesus. Your sin is forgiven. Is it okay if, I ha- if I'm honest with you this morning? You ready, Helen? Well, you still love me? You know, does that mean now that I'm a disciple, a follower of Christ, that I still find myself in that place of wanting to do my own thing, where I don't really listen to Jesus, where sometimes I, get, I wander off, I get a bit lost? The answer is yes. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Does that mean that there are times in my life, even though that I am blessed, that I feel like I don't want to bless others? Let me read to you 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12 in the message version. Summing up, be agreeable. (laughs) You know where this is going, don't you? Be agreeable. Be agreeable. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be humble. This goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead. (laughs) Preach it, brother. Instead. Bless. That's your job. What? You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. You know, if I'm really honest, church, and I I hope I am always honest, actually, because that sounds, when you make that statement, it sounds like perhaps sometimes you're not honest. Think about that. I'm pretty good at putting the mask on. I'm pretty good at being agreeable, except with Helen. I'm pretty good at being sympathetic, except with Helen. I'm pretty good at loving. I'm pretty good at being compassionate. Pretty good at being humble. Pretty good at not retaliating or being sarcastic. But let me tell you, on the inside... There are plenty of times where I don't feel like being agreeable, where I don't feel like being sympathetic, where I don't feel like being loving or compassionate. I don't want to be humble and I want to retaliate and I want to be sarcastic. I, like the Apostle Paul, at times struggle with my sinful nature. Romans 7, 5 to 19, New Living Translation. 
I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, and that is me. I know the law of God, and it is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is the sinful, it is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, (laughs) but I do it anyway. I know that's true in my life. I'm being honest, completely honest here. And I know it's true in your life. True, too. But thankfully, we have a God that tells us that even though we do fall short, that even though we do make mistakes, even though that we fail Him, that He has given us a way through all of that. Hebrews 4, 16 in the Amplified Version says this, Therefore let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is, the throne of God's favour, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failings and find his amazing grace to help us in our time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. I really like it where it says, with privilege. Can I have a tissue, please, somebody? Did you notice it said at the beginning there, 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 thank you, Trevor. I won't use the microphone. (laughs) Did you notice that it said privilege? What gives us the right or privilege to approach his throne of grace? After all, we've just failed. We've just done the wrong thing. We've just let God... down. We've done what we didn't want to do, but we did it anyway. It's all to do with Jesus and what he's done. He's given us the privilege. He's given us the right to be able to approach the God's throne of grace, but not only just approach it, approach it with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy and help in our time of need. Not because we've done the right thing, because we've just done the wrong thing. But we can approach his throne of grace with confidence because of what Jesus has done. He is our high priest. He is the one that walked on this earth and did not sin. So when Jesus, sorry, when God looks at you, he doesn't see it because of the work of the cross. But here's the thing. I'm going to state the obvious here. We can only receive God's mercy and help when we recognize that we have a problem in the first place. 
the the why are we approaching his throne of, confidently approaching his throne of grace in the first place? Because we admit we have a problem that we've let God down again. We've done the things that we don't want to do. It's counterintuitive, is that right? That's a good word. Oh, how 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 counterintuitive. We've just stuffed up. We've just done that very thing that we don't want to do. Yet the word says we can approach his throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will receive the mercy and the help that we need at just the right time. See, when I walked into that rehab, all those years ago, lost and broken, Unable to carry myself, unable to function, having lost everything good in my life, including my marriage and my relationship with my, the people that love me most. When I walked in that place, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't deserving. I hadn't done anything right to earn his favour or blessing. Yet he poured it out on me. Because he, he showed me his amazing grace. And, and I said, God, I'm sorry. My life is a mess. I've hurt the people closest to me. I've hurt my sons, my daughter, my, my wife, my parents. I've hurt so many people in my life. How could you possibly show your mercy and your grace towards me? You've, I've done things that I would never have thought I could do. I grew up in church I knew the law. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. Yet I did the very things I didn't want to do. I had no reason to receive God's grace and mercy other than I found out that Jesus loved me and that he had a plan and a purpose for me. And I found out about his amazing grace and his grace is all about him and what he's done and not what I've done. And so when I walked into that rehab, He did a work. I found out about his amazing grace that he loved me just as I was, but he loved me too much to leave me where I was. I said, sorry. I can't do this anymore. I need you, Jesus. I couldn't even even hold a job down anymore. I'd forgotten so many things that I'd been taught in my life about how to live life. It was just a mess, let me tell you. The alcohol had such a hold of me. The only way I can describe it, it's like you're sitting here today breathing, I needed the the alcohol to live. But praise God, it got broken over my life. So if he can do it over my life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what has hold of your life, believe that he loves you so much but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Amen. You know, we can only receive his mercy and help when we recognize that we have the problem. You know, to repent is to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Now, I'm not receiving in the context of what I'm talking about today. If you're a born again believer of Jesus Christ, you already have his forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus did for you. You have it. 
I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is receiving his mercy and help when we don't when we do the things that we don't want to do as a follower, when we struggle with our sin nature. Mercy means the compassionate treatment of those in distress. When we're in distress because we've just done the very thing that we don't want to do. The promise is that if we will confidently approach his throne of grace, we will receive God's passion and we will receive his help in the time of need. We repent. We repent because we know and trust that his word is true and we know that his, it is the truth that will set us free. 2 Timothy 3.17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, I don't know what God's calling me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And What am I supposed to do? Do good work. Help people in their time of need. Love people, show compassion, show mercy. All that God's done for you, you do for somebody else. You see, our purpose is to do good works. It's not hard. It's to do good works. I love it that we as a church do good works. I love it that we've got Kyam Cottage over there. That we can help people that can't help themselves. We can show what Jesus is really like through us. We can provide that accommodation for, for women or men that, are, that their lives are bro- broken. They can no longer carry themselves. We can carry them a little bit. I love it that we can reach into Thailand and bless Pastor Enoch and the church that he's planning. I love it that we can bless Tim Curry in the Philippines, that we can help out with Teen Challenge that we can sow into Alpha Crucis and have a Christian university, but not only a Christian university, a Christian university that has its roots in Pentecostalism. See, we can do good works. You and I can do good works. Together, we're we're better together. I'm going to say this, church. There are Christians that that walk around in Bowen, but they don't come to church. Because of an offence or because somebody's done something or they're hurt or they're broken or they're lost. But we're better together. God's design, God's purpose for his church is that we get together and we say, what can we do because we're better together than on our own? We're more powerful together. Amen. So I love it that we're, we're here to do good works. I'm here to do good works. You're here to do good works. Whatever that may look like for you, doesn't mean you necessarily have to have platform ministry. Your good works might be being that person at work that when everybody else is grumbling and complaining and carrying on, you're there going, life's good. I have Jesus in my life. They're all saying and carrying on at BIT about the boss. You're going, oh, I'm not going to do that. Not in a prideful way. Not like you've got it all together. I'm a Christian. Oh, I don't swear. Oh, no, I don't do this and I don't do that. No. In a way that you're humble. You work out of humility. You're saying to people, not necessarily through your words, but through your actions, I love you. I care for you. 
What can I do to help you? What good works can I do for you? What can I sacrifice in my own life so that you can see the sacrifice of Jesus? So good, isn't it? That every time we fail, every time we do the things that we don't want to do, when we admit fault, we can confidently go to his throne of grace and know that we will receive his mercy and help when we need it. You know, humility is one of the greatest weapons, if not the best. As I say, I've got time. Yeah. Can I go just a little bit longer? You still with me? Anybody asleep? Let's throw something at them if they are. No, you're all looking at me. That's good. Humility is one of the greatest weapons we have to defeat the enemy. You know, he just loves it when we become prideful. When we think we know what we're doing, we don't need God, when we think we're better than other people, when we look down on other people, when we believe that we don't need to change but everybody else does. Not looking at anybody but myself. When we believe we don't need to change but everybody else does. Who's seen those sorts of Christians walking around? He just loves it when he gets us to believe that we've made it and that we actually don't need God's help anymore. See, humility is a great way to help other people know Christ. There's something very attractive and very valuable that happens when people know that we too have struggles in our lives. Just a very simple illustration, like, where's Hester? Oh, there you are. Beautiful job this week of painting the inside of the the new office there. Thank you, Hester. But she called out to me and said, oh, John, I can't get this paint tin open. Can you come and give me a hand? So I went down and I found it difficult to open the paint tin as well. And Hester said, I I haven't quoted you word for word, but I hope I got it right. Something like this. It gives me comfort to know that you struggle too. It helps me to know that it's just just not me that struggles. Do you get it? Humility is a beautiful thing. See, See, we're in it together. And it's not us as a church and them out there. Because every single one of us falls short. Erwin McManus has a church in Hollywood. He was at our, it was our national conference. He's written a couple of books. Got a large church. And just an amazing grasp of God's grace over his life, his church, and what he's doing. And at the end, there was a question and answer interview thing that was happening up on the stage. So people could put text a question, and if it, it would go up on the stage, and then he'd answer the question. And one of the questions was this. How do you deal with the culture of Hollywood? Fair question. Like, fair question? Yep. I think it's a fair question. Do you think it's a fair question? How do you deal with the culture of Hollywood? Because the culture of Hollywood is not the culture of our God. It's not. But his answer, I thought, was brilliant. Well, for a start, this is what he said. For a start, it's not us versus them. Do you get it? It's not us versus them. It's us. We're all in it. We're all in it. 
We're all in sin, every single one of us. You know, there's that Christianese little term that we love to use, and it's so good, it's true. It goes like this. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. True. So true. But actually, when you refer it to the, where Jesus teaches about taking the log out of your own eye first before you remove the sawdust in your brother and sister, what he's actually teaching is this. You ready? <laughs> it's challenging. You ready? I got your attention. Love the sinner. We do that. We do that. Yeah, love the sinner. Get rid of the sin in your own life. Get rid of the sin in your own life. And then deal with the sin in the brother's life. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I know but even though I'm forgiven and my sin has been dealt with, but I only have to breathe to know that I commit sin. I'm selfish at times. I'm self-centered. I want things my own way. I can be judgmental. I can be prideful. I can be difficult. And don't tell me you're not. really honest with yourself, there's not one of us here that can meet the law perfectly. Every one of us will have an area in our lives where we fall short. That's why Jesus spoke about murder and forgiveness and anger. Humility is one of the greatest weapons we have to defeat the enemy. Love the sinner, get rid of the sin in your own life, and then deal with the sin in your brother. So, what am I saying? I have a big enough job getting rid of the sin in my own life with the help of Jesus. So at what point do I then look at the sin in my brother's life? And this is very topical at the moment. Because we all know about Israel, I cannot, cannot say his name. Thank you. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, we've got to preach the truth. We've got to preach the truth. But we've got to love people. And what's the message? What's our loudest message? What's our loudest message that people are hearing? Judgment. Quite often it's judgment. You know, God God gave me this picture a while ago, and I've shared it a couple of times. I'm going to share it again about our church. We're not the policemen. We're not. We're not here telling everybody what they're doing wrong. 
You've got to tell people what they're doing wrong. Is that our loud message? Is that the message that people are hearing about Bowen Christian Family Centre? We're the ambulance. We're not the hospital. See, the hospital is Jesus. All we can do is take people to Jesus. We're the ambulance. We might be able to give them a bit of CPR, get them into the bus or the ambulance, and we take them to the hospital because it's Jesus that heals. It's Jesus that restores. It's Jesus that does it all. All we can do is take people there. You with me, church? There's something very attractive and very valuable that happens when people know that we have stuff in our own lives too. If we could get the band up, please. You know, our theme for this month is confidence in Christ. I hope, my hope for you this morning is that you've been challenged. Is that okay? I have. I challenge myself with this all the time. But basically today I just wanted to talk about how we can confidently go to God's throne of grace so that we will find the mercy that we need and we will find the help that we need. But there's the thing. Here's the kicker. Here's the thing that we need to do to receive his mercy and grace. What is it? Admit that we have a problem, that we have sin, that we have something in our lives that we need to let go of. God, I need you to help me in this area. See, there's sometimes... There's stuff in our lives that we know is a sin and we have victory over it. Then there's other stuff in our lives that we know that is a sin, but we keep doing it. We, we struggle to overcome it. It, it. it can be anything. It doesn't have to be sexual sin. It could be the sin of self-centeredness, the sin of being greedy, the sin of being angry, angry the sin of being unforgiving. It's all sin. We all fall short of his glorious standard. Amen? Do you want help this morning? Can we sing Christ is enough? Yeah. Do you want help this morning, church? The starting point is going, I need help. I know I've got stuff I need to let go of. I know that God needs to deal with stuff in my life. You know, we sing Christ is enough. But we look to our bank balance, we look to other people, we look to, to knowledge, whatever it is we look to to give us really what only Jesus can give us. All of that stuff, we look to other people, all of that stuff will never, ever, ever, ever meet that, that thing that's deep within us where we all need to feel like we're accepted and that we belong. Because we'll only ever find that in Jesus. You know, once we become a follower of Christ, it's not like we have to keep continuing to go, I'm going to recommit my life to you, Jesus. I believe that once by faith we admit that we've repented, that we're a sinner and we need him to save you, then we become a born-again believer. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website www.withsundayacc.com.au